0: QArt Foundation's Critical Distance Podcast Series, produced as a part of Meeting Artists' Needs, a professional development program for artists of all ages and backgrounds. QR Foundation's Meeting Artists' Needs program is generously supported by the Joan Mitchell Foundation. You are listening to Conversation One, This Practice is a Social One, from Make Some Place, conversations about people, practice, and creative placemaking. This conversation was recorded live at Q Art Foundation.
1: Downpour. So, congratulations yeah. to you. you all. Thank right. you. I'm just
0: going to do a voice check. Yeah. Good? Okay, great. Okay. Um, I told you I have a big, loud, aggressive voice, so I want to make sure everybody heard it today. <laughs> my name is Karen Lee Kuan Lokenwala, and this is my colleague Jordan Danewski. I want to thank you guys so much. I want to thank Q for having us and having us provide this series to all of you on creative placemaking. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I come from the urban planning field, and over the years, I have a passionate interest for arts and design and culture, and I wanted to marry the two. So last year, I started my own creative practice called It's All Made Up. And um, in that vein, I I do creative and playful experiences in public places, largely underused spaces. So what you're seeing here is one of my um, projects where we did, it was all about play. It was in Boston at their location called on D, which used to be a parking lot. And they transformed it into this public space so people could come and enjoy on the weekends during the day. And we had this day of play where designers came in and provided playful experiences to people. And I did puzzle making, uh, 3D puzzle making. So that's a little bit about myself. Uh, Jordan, you want to talk? To
1: Absolutely. Um... Slide, please. Great. My name is Jordan. Uh, Just by a show of hands, I'm curious who in the room knows what creative placemaking is as a term. Okay, perfect. That's exactly some of you, some of you don't. I sat in the same exact place 15 months ago. Um, like, let's go back to when I first moved to New York and when my story kind of really begins. I came up to the city to be an actor. <laughs> big, big funny joke. And I ended up working for a theater company for a number of years, producing events. That led to me working in outdoor spaces with a nonprofit environmental organization called the New York Restoration Project, where I produced outdoor programming with them. And I had no idea what I was doing. When I started out. I was like, I just want to have fun in gardens and outdoor space. And so we started putting up movie nights and we started putting up dance performances and we started putting up yoga. And I started seeing like, oh, people care about this. Okay, I'm just going to keep doing that. And so for about five and a half years, I did that until I stumbled on this concept or whole group of people who exist. Um, and this, for me, it was the first moment I understood what creative placemaking meant in the context of my work. So If you're out there going, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, but the the description looked okay enough I was going to show, bravo, because we're all in this conversation together. And before I tell you more about who I am, I'll tell you I'm not an expert on this. I'm just a person going through it every day. And so is Perrin, and so is Ellen, and so is Musa, and I suspect many of you all are. So what we're hoping to do today is just create some definition around what it is, get us all on a little bit of a level playing field so that like as we leave here tonight we can go oh yeah that's what you do yeah you're, you're kind of you're adding to this movement that's happening that's been happening and, and we're just finding the words to put to it. Fair to say Fran? Yes. Alright thanks. So I consider myself a creative type um, again I went into arts admin and really really wasn't performing or doing anything like that but I wanted to be creative I felt like I was doing creative things but I necessarily wasn't calling myself an artist at that time um, so as I kind of told some of my story, I became a space animator, for lack of a better way to say it. I would have never called myself that then, but looking back, that's what I started doing, just taking vacant spaces and trying to do something more with them. Um, from there I learned the art, uh, or the, the, the wonderful thing that is collaboration, so getting to work with a lot of amazing partners. Um, Over the years and then I really stumbled upon this idea of collaboration again 15 months ago I met Perrin through another fellowship program that's hosted by the National Arts Strategies organization based out of DC It's called the creative community fellows program and basically what it is is it's a nine-month program that you're in with 50, 49 other fellows who came into this thing, who applied for this fellowship program with this kind of vague prompt of you're using arts to create some sort of social impact. It's like, okay, I think I am. That's what I'm trying to do. And come to find out, I'm like one in thousands of people fortunately who are trying to do this thing who are trying to activate space who are trying to mobilize communities who are trying to work collaboratively collaboratively for the greater good um, so i'm a collaborator and then the last one i think is the truest which is i'm absolutely a starry-eyed dreamer with a very strong sense of pragmatism i love thinking about the bigger picture i love thinking what can be done on a blank palette but I also like learned really quickly, especially in New York, that it's got to have some value, and that doesn't necessarily just mean financial value. It's got to be valuable to somebody in some way. And so, a lot of value exists. It's just about how we talk about it. And so, again, getting in the fellowship program, meeting parent, meeting the other fellows, started just make me realize oh, I'm doing this thing. I just need to learn the verbs, the terms, all the good stuff to describe it to be able to have anything to say about it. So um, in the bottom, or excuse me, in the top right, I'm going to try not to block the screen. Uh, that's actually a, just a performance in the South Bronx when I was with the New York Restoration Project, uh, and that was a couple of seasons ago. So I've gone through a little bit of transition in the last couple of months, and so I actually just moved down full-time to Washington, D.C., and am in, involved in and a venture in an amazing organization there with my partner Emily who's Recreative Spaces Uh, that's an organization that's existed for several years and I just kind of come in to work with them collaboratively so our newest project is called art in a parking lot and so we're taking a one acre parking lot over the course of the next four years and turning it into a community space through a variety of different activations Uh, apparently go to the next slide here are some examples of what we're doing in the space. So the top left was a collaborative event we did with the Metro Police Department. It's called National Night Out. So we hosted a bunch of activities in the space. We did a big graffiti paint jam with a local group called Words Beats and Life. A different way to kind of beautify the space and activate it in in, in just kind of a unique way. At least something I had never done before. Bottom left, we also do a lot of saturation of like very grassroots, community-focused. I mean, they're all community-focused, but smaller groups, intimate settings where we do paint a mini mini mural. Um, And we did that with 20 kids this last weekend, which will go on the fence and help to beautify it and also. just let the community know what's going on in the space. Um, and then the bottom right again is another youth uh, event that we did. It's part of the National Night Out, but we just try to get as many kids and kids of all ages into the space to, to make it a little more lively. Um, so that's what I'm doing now when I'm not in New York presenting about creative placemaking.
0: <laughs> so um, I'm just going to give you a bit of a rundown of the evening and I want to talk about the title. The series, Make Some Place. And it speaks to a play on words. One, we said, make some place is like make some space, and we want to make a place to have this conversation. Because I think one of the things that we saw in our fellowship was that there was definitely this disconnect in terms of this term that's out there that people are using and not a lot of people knowing about it, particularly artists. And so we said, you know, if we have the opportunity to, I guess, facilitate a dialogue and conversation with more artists, then we should certainly take that opportunity, and that's what we did with Q, so thank you again. Um, also a plumber to the fact that I think when I've spoken to people who are not in the art world and they say, oh, you know, offhandedly, when they think of art and creative ventures, like, oh, just, you know, go make some art. Go do that. And it doesn't put any weight or value to creative process to artists or anything like that. So I think we took that and overlapped it to make some place because I think that sometimes there's this thought process about it that it's like, oh, you can just add some arts and culture and you have made some place. And I think we've learned over time that that's certainly not the case. It takes a lot more. It takes a lot more engagement, awareness about the community that you're working with, and these speakers, Ellen and Lisa, are going to talk more about examples of their work and examples of creative placemaking. So just wanted to give a little blurb about the title of this, of this speaker series. Um, Rest of the night, I'm going to introduce these guests. We're going to have a Q and A, and we said we were going to make it interactive, so we're definitely going to have SAT questions for you afterwards. So you have to answer um, and then, you know, we're going to get to mingle and talk to one another, and that will be the evening. Very simple, very yeah. easy. Um, so, first speaker, I'm going to introduce is Ellen Ryan. She is the senior director of Fairmount Park Conservancy. She's also my mentor at the National Art Strategy. That's how we met, and. Um, She has a long, extensive background in urban planning. She used to be the executive director for Open House New York, which is coming up fairly soon. Uh, She's been pulled over to Philadelphia, and she was a Kresge Fellow for Creative Placemaking. And um, there's Musa Hickson artists and how we met, let me just talk about we were working on a project for a park in Bed stuy trying to do some work out there, and I learned about his project called Vision to Action with his Brooklyn Art Incubator. And he will talk a bit more about that in his time when he presents. So Ellen, do you oh, wanna sure. take over this laptop? Let me speak. Go for it. Oh. Let's
2: Oops, try to it again. Alright. So bear with me. You
0: can take some time to have more. <laughs>
3: there we are. Right. Does it not want to
1: go? Let's try Oh no. Can you
2: there <laughs> Yeah, is that the first one? Yeah, actually. There we go. Yeah. Yes. So, so hi everybody. Um It's a, it's always nice to be in New York. Um, I, I moved away about three years ago, so um, uh, I still feel. Uh, myself to be a, a true New Yorker, but I do love Philadelphia as well, um, and I was saying it's September 11th is always the hardest day, I think, to not be in New York. Um, for me, it just, it's just a different thing. But um, but today, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about creative placemaking, and it, it's really interesting to see some people raise their hands And uh, So I'm going to sort of start with the 101 that um, I prepared this um, when I was working at the Trust for Public Land, and we were sort of uh, talking to a national network of park planners, conservation types, and, and really talking about what, what, what is creative placemaking? And and I think we all know it, it's it's putting a term on something that's been happening for a very long time. It's not new, um, but there's this sense of trying to create a field out of this. Um, so there's lots of um, sort of urbanist babble about you know and I think a lot of these words you know kind of when we talk about creative placemaking these are the kinds of vibe that we're talking about that that people think are um, uh, indicative of creative placemaking so these are the celebrations, pedestrian filled streets, walkable cities Um, so I think we all have this sort of sense of of what it's supposed to um, create um, but and I think some of those um, aspects so again, not new. These are, you know, and it's, it's always nice to show these folks in New York. Um, they're, you know, they're not Philadelphia heroes as much, but, um, you know, but if we read Jane Jacobs, you know, The Small Life of, um, oh wait, I'm mixing my titles. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thinking of the, small, the life of small social spaces and Holly White, who's a it was a big personal hero of mine, um, who really understood how people use public spaces in, in uh, crowded cities. You know, I think there's a lot of basis of that creative placemaking that starts in their thinking, um, and and you know the percent for arts programs, th- those have been around for 30 plus years, and I think. There's this sense that art has a has a, you know, a critically important role in um, in public spaces and in places at schools. That's Paula share I think, in a Queens school um, on the left. And so, you know, we always know that art has a has a role in public spaces, and here we, it's been legislated. Um, And there's also this figure out there, you know, many of you may know Richard Florida, who has this book called The Rise of the Creative Class, and it's about how cities, you know, and he he was at Carnegie Mellon at the time, so he was talking about strategies that Pittsburgh used to um, retain all of their brain power that was uh, coming out of those engineering and other programs, and it was really about how to... um, you know, attract them with a the creative class, and, and that's where people want to be. They want to um, be in the in the cradle of innovative thought and expression. Um. And so, and and it goes on now, and this is a 2010 document that was actually sort of done by the NEA and done by the, uh, I think, the U.S. Conference of Mayors, um, uh, and this was a a document, a white paper done to really talk about what is creative placemaking, can we define it, and pin it down a little bit more um, specifically. So you have a really nice, long definition, um, and I'm I'm just going to, you know, try to, look at the words that um, really sort of jump out at me at least, but um, but it's this idea about partnerships, about um, strategically shaping the physical and social um, environment of a neighborhood, um, that it's around art and culture and that um, it's, in, it's about improving place. Um, and so, Creative placemaking is really, right now, the field building is, is predominantly done by two institutions. Um, one is our Place America, and I'm going to come back to that. I think there's some speakers that will be um, from our place. Um, later in the series. Um, And then, of course, the National Endowment of the Arts, um, which has a few programs, one including the Our Town program. Applications are due September 26th, so, (laughs) Um, but but those are the two sort of funding mechanisms, and um, in the case of our Place America, in particular, they're really about again creating this field. So they are, they have a, a very generous research um, agenda that is trying to look at different sectors of um, the economy of our lives in, in terms of housing and um, uh, social sciences and. Uh, all sorts of um, different aspects of um, energy, environment, um, to see how artists can um, be a critical thinker at the table um, for these decisions. So, and as Perrine mentioned, I, I had the uh, pleasure of, um, you know, we had a grant at the uh, Trust for Public Land from the Kresge Foundation, and, and they've given it a lot of thought as well. They are a supporter of, of the Art Place America, and so they, they have their own way of looking at creative placemaking, and I think what you see in their definition is a little bit more about um, Um, thinking about it as part of a larger, if not regional, then strategic planning process. Um, That it's about you know getting out of our silos and of course there should be at least two or three other silos talking with each other. Um, But um, it's about leadership um, and how we um, interact with the communities that we're working with and, and identifying leadership in those communities. Um, and it's advancing a shared community vision, so this is not a top-down process, but um, trying to burble up from, from the, the residents that we're working with. And then it's for everyone, and this is one of my favorite pictures, because one of the great things that the Trust for Public Land does is that when they're building or regenerating a, uh, a playground in a school, they do a curriculum with the students and design it together, mm-hmm. um, down to the budget, and you know, they do shadow studies, and they you know, get out there with, and measure. So at the end of this process, they have a lot of buy-in and um, ownership and pride about what results from that process, um, and then commitment to sustain engagement and all residences, which is you know it's easier said than done, and so it's an important part. Um, I love this slide because this is actually from an art show in Atlantic City, which um, was not a particular success, but at least at least they had the right spirit in that in mind. Um, and then this is the Im- most important part to me about this definition. And, it, and I know Perrine um, and, and Jordan put some quotes on the on the wall here. Some questions for us to think about as we have a critical conversation about um, creative placemaking: what it is and what it isn't, and what what the um, positives and, and potential negatives are. Um, but it's really about how, to, um, how does the community stay in place? This is not about you know I, I was joking earlier about it's easy to make a millennial magnet you know just throw some beer, some giant Jenga's, um, you know a cornhole you know like you, you can do that pretty easily. But you know how do you actually um, use the arts to to make a sustained difference in the community that's there? Um, and so this is a one of my favorite buildings in Philadelphia uh, in the Mantra section in, in West Philadelphia. Um, and then lastly, it's about honoring community distinctiveness. And I can't think of a better example than the Watts Towers in, in LA. Um, so for us, you know, and I'm now that I spend most of my career in the parks realm, you know, to me there's, there's such a great connection between parks and open space and arts and culture. It's an obvious one um, for many reasons, and there's lots of ways that artists have worked in nature, and these are just, I'll go through these quickly, but um, these are some installations that, that show, um, this is Battery Park City and Hamilton. My um, Lynn up at Storm King, um, Patrick Darty, I'm not sure which Botanic Garden he does this a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, 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 yeah, maybe Brook. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, again, this was this was creative time back in the, I think the 80s. So this was the World Trade Center site, um, uh, or is this the World Financial Center site? It's, it's the I think it's the World Financial Center site when it was actually a beach and creative time did some installations there. Um, and then, of course, we have wonderful social um, practice artists, and you know, I'm trying to show that there's some sort of convergence here. This is in Houston, um, artist Rick Lowe, who's a recent. Um, a MacArthur Prize uh, winner, um, but he has restored these beautiful vernacular shotgun houses and has artist residencies in them as well as um, some social services and uh, education for the local community. Um, this is in Detroit, the Heidelberg Project. Um, this is, it sort of breaks my heart to see this image because I think most of these um, homes have been destroyed by arson, but um, but just a a simple beautiful way of trying to you know create awareness about the issue of vacant homes and um, disinvestment um, I think maybe he needs no introduction, but this is the Astor Gates from Chicago. He's sort of like the rock, rock star of creative placemaking. Um, he is a, a fantastic artist, a, a potter, um, but he has created um, the Rebuild Foundation in Dorchester and um, the south side of Chicago and has worked collaboratively with the University of Chicago and the mayoral administration um, to restore and animate uh, a number of Different buildings that, including the archives of Jet and Ebony magazine, um, and different recording studios and libraries, and has just um, really found a way. I mean, I, I think one of his quotes is, "You know, the best fight against external gentrification is internal gentrification." So he, he, and now he has a salon series on ethical redevelopment. Um, so he's somebody I think that's worth watching a TED talk or two um, as as you come across his work. Um, so, these are some great examples. This is my favorite, it's like a, it's an aardvark with a party hat on that's on its back in a playground, but you know, having risk and um, in playgrounds is, is a great thing. Um, this is a park out uh, and has the great acronym of GASP, Glenorchy Art and Culture, Art uh, and Sculpture Park, and in Tasmania. Um, this is a park in North Carolina where uh, Local artists had created these sort of whirly gigs, and so now they've been in place um, in this park. And then finally, um, closer to home, this is um, Corona Plaza in Queens, and this was a project of the Queens Museum, um, which has just been so instructive to me to rethink how parks and public space happen, because they took really what was just a you know a sort of a tri- traffic triangle, closed it off, and even before the, you know, DOT, you know, in its newly um, sort of, uh, you know, open-minded way of of regarding these spaces, they were able to talk to the community canvas to talk about what kind of events and what kind of services would be useful here. So, in addition to free Wi-Fi, there's, I think there's an immigration center, there's coffee, there's programming, and it's just turned this into, a truly um, well-used amenity in a neighborhood that's incredibly crowded, you know, and and not much open space um, next to the the elevated train. So uh, we've learned a lot from the Queens Museum, and I know they've um, done further work on the Flushing Meadows Corona Park. Um, So I just wanted to show Quick. Um, sorry if I'm taking up so much time, but um, this is um, artist Amanda Lovely in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, she has been, she's the artist in residence for the city of St. Paul, um, and their artist residencies happen for two, three, four years. They're they're really um, fantastic because they let an artist really understand the context within which they're working. Um, so she, the first project she did was sort of create a, a pop up. Uh, a popsicle truck where they would, in exchange for a free popsicle, you had to, you know, give your input about a particular city project. So instead of asking people to come, you know, six o'clock to a meeting that you know that they have to get childcare for, and that they have to make arrangements and come to a place that they don't want to, she's making the city planners, making the other people go to where people are and engaging them in a fun and um, thoughtful way. The popsicles are locally made and organic, and you know. But um, but I think you know it's sort of a sweet idea, but I think there's something real to it. And as an urban planner, this is not what we were taught in our urban planning program. So this, this is just a great, I think, almost subversive way of, of getting um, the, the city agencies to come to the community. Um, this is uh, Waller Creek in uh, Austin, Texas. And this is a, a creek that's not been a, a particularly um, place that people, Austinites, want to come to. Um, and so there's a conservancy there that has partnered with an architecture school to create this lighting festival once a year. And so it's a way to get people to reconsider an asset that they usually just want to get by because you know, some of it is buried and underground in culverts. Um, and so part of the project, I believe, is daylighting, and, and they have a, a master plan. but. But these sort of temporary installations, I think, bring awareness in a way that um, other, other means can't necessarily do. And lastly, this is um, a project uh, called the Glass Street um, Collaborative in East Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it's taking a, a sort of moribund um, strip of um, a neighborhood that hasn't seen the development that downtown Chattanooga has gotten, and using art and art production as a way to um, gather the citizens into feeling pride and feeling um, real uh, stature in their neighborhood. So I'm just going to talk really quickly. Um, the Fairmount Park Conservancy, we are the non-for-profit arm to the City um, Parks and Recreation Department. So Fairmount Park is both a park itself and then um, the park system. So Fairmount Park proper is about a 2,000 acre park, and that's roughly the size of Freshkills here. So it's, it's much larger than uh, Central Park, but it's just not as well known. Um, but we work system-wide, so we also work with the uh, neighborhood parks and we work on stewardship, capital projects, public programming. Um, We also work on historic houses. Um, So we have lots of different aspects of our work. Um, In fact, one of the first works that we did was to invite uh, a New Yorker, uh, Frank Vangione, who wrote a book called The Anarchist Guide to Historic House Museums um, to make us think a little bit about the historic houses that are in the park and try to connect them a little bit more to the communities that they're in, um, which has not been happening. You you always do a nice Christmas holiday, you know, decorations, which is great, it gets a certain demographic, but the houses um, they're the reason we have Fairmount Park. If it weren't for those big estates, we wouldn't have the watershed protection that, that Philadelphia has. So this was a, a first effort to try to um, think a little bit more um, creatively about how we use the houses through for artist residencies, um, for cultural events and happenings, um, to make them, you know, relate to the communities that they're adjacent to. Um, and so, just as in talking about that park, um, when I arrived, uh, Fairmount Park is two thousand acres. No map. There was not a single map um, that people could. And there was no call that we got more often than the map. And I was like, we, we can do this. I, I feel pretty, you know, confident. So I got a great uh, graphic designer. We, you know, crowdsourced. You know, crowdsourced. Our staff sourced. Um, you know, fifty unique experiences that people could have in the park and. Um, treated it as, as really an invitation, you know, it's not, we keep saying it. it's not an official map, but it's an invitation. And I think at its heart that's what creative placemaking really is about, is inviting people to um, have experiences in these spaces and trying to try different filters different ways until you get it right. Um, so this this map has been successful, We at the back we have, you know, what's, what's your great experience? And so we've been asking these questions, we just asked for a zip code, so we're trying to get a sense of, you know, what, what people want out of the park that they're not seeing and, and what they can have um, now. That's just the other side. Um, and we gave away the map at these structures. They were created by a group called Public Workshops. So they were built on site. Um, inside are, are sort of um, panoramas of 19th century images of the park so people can get a sense of what it used to look like, but we did some programming here. We had uh, the city historians do office hours um, out here, and this is part of a larger project called the Oval, which is a pop-up park that happens every summer um, on Benjamin Franklin Parkway, so right in front of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, or for other people for the
4: Rocky Steps. So,
2: that's how that's how they're known. And we invited some other, you know, non-characteristic. Uh, you know, uh, this is the bearded ladies, one of our favorite um, Philadelphia institutions. But trying to have more culture and um, part of it. This is just the last slide, and um, this is a new new uh, project we're doing, um, and. Uh, like open house here in New York, which I heartily encourage you all to go to, and our Philadelphia response to that is called Design Philadelphia. So we are inviting um, 10, I'm sorry, 12 artists to interpret um, birdhouses um, because this year's theme is home, and we really wanted to um, talk about how the park is home to lots of different species. Um, and these meadows have to be created in the park. So this is um, sort of a new aspect of the park that we really want to bridge awareness to. And we're going to put the birdhouses in the park and then have a self-directed um, trail. So we're trying to use creatives, uh, you know, the power of creative talent to make people aware of the importance of meadows and then get out there and enjoy them. So I'm sorry. Thank you too so much. <laughs>
4: Hello. Okay, let's just get this set up here. Um, so, when I was first presented with this opportunity to um, to be involved in this conversation. Um, like some of you, I wasn't very familiar with the term creative placemaking. Um, but as soon as I heard the word and did a little research, I realized, well, that's what artists do, <laughs> you know? So um, I guess as a sculptor, especially if you're you're having work in, in, in public spaces, and especially if you're in New, New York, first of all, you have to kind of um, create space for yourself, you know? Um, so I, I wanted to start off by, <laughs> talking about a little bit of, of my journey as it relates to um, pieces that are on the subject matter or relate to the subject matter of creative placemaking. Um, and then I'll go into some nonprofit work that I've done um, through Brooklyn Art Incubator where we're I find that we actually have been teaching creative placemaking, <laughs> you know. Um, so, um, One of my early public sculptures, um, I've been a sculptor for a while, but as far as my public work, is this um, particular piece called um, A Dream Catcher for Hattie Carthine. It's in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. And at at the time, I was renting office space for my nonprofit, um, our nonprofit, um, on... Lafayette Avenue between Marcy and Tompkins, a place called Magnolia Tree Earth Center. So if you guys don't know, Hattie Carthine was um, an African-American female environmentalist working in Bedford-Stuyvesant in the 60s, from the 60s to the 80s. So not a lot of people know about her, but I found out looking for space to rent. So I'm looking for space, find out about this, and kind of adjacent to my office at the time was the Hattie Carthine Community Garden. so um, I'm thinking of ways, like a lot of artists, how can I get my art in public spaces? How can I, you know, identify you know, somewhere or get some type of grant or something like that? So I decided to walk over to the garden and talk to the guys that hang out there and barbecue and plant, you know, all kinds of wonderful vegetables, um, and I told them I'd like to put some sculpture there um they said you know fine you know but i I knew they weren't going to give me money or anything so that's the next step that as us as artists we deal with in you know finding spaces and places um it was around this time of year and bedford stuyvesant um i'm from clinton hill bedford stuyvesant area so around this time of year there's something called the rest bedford stuyvesant restoration plaza Um, 10-kilometer run, walk, (laughs) run slash walk, so now they let people walk. Um, So, um, I don't know if there was like Kickstarter or anything at that time, but um, I decided to um, do a run for art, so I I did this thing, I made up some t-shirts and I started emailing people. and I, I said, for every kilometer that I finished, I'd like you to donate a certain amount of money, you know. Um, but they didn't know that I had been practicing. I was like in <laughs> shape at the time. <laughs> I was like ready to go you know I was running at night and then I I got some other artists friends and we you know gave them t-shirts and they helped me raise funds um, so we got a little bit of money you know um, and I was able to erect the first public sculpture through this initiative you know um, when I put the work up you know first of all I've always been into circles spheres balls ovals things like that um, So, a dream catcher was really perfect, you know, for the type of work that I do. It's 10 foot. Um, I did a little research on the weaving pattern. You know, it comes from the uh, Ojibwe Nation, which is a a nation of First Nations people that would be around the, like, what we call the Great Lakes area now. So, I did a little research how to do the weaving pattern, so on and so forth, Um, and erected the sculpture, and I noticed that I'm looking right through the sculpture and I'm really just looking at the park, I mean the um, community garden. And I, and I like that, you know. Um, and from the sculpture I'm kind of learning that I kind of, I'm very interested in the work being of the space and not just in the space, you know. So when I did, I had opportunity to do subsequent work like maybe like a year later, um, I was invited for an artist in residency program in um, Obama City, Japan. Um, I was still making dreamcatchers, and um, I wanted things to be kind of thin, you know, kind of take space. So these are three 10-foot dream catchers connected in a spiral. And this is actually in front of a, a elementary school. So I, I kind of like that angle, even though the elementary school is in the background. Um, in this project, I took three 10-foot dream catchers, and instead of the traditional um, uh, First Nations weaving pattern, I connected fishing net because this was a small fishing village. I think um, my japanese i don't speak japanese but i was told that obama is actually something translated to like small beach or little beach or something like that that's what i was told when i was there but definitely um, it's a fishing village big on mackerel mackerel was like the main fish and i had some of the best seafood in the world i, I miss that place so much um so that being at the net kind of connected so much to, um, what was going on in this very rural small town, um, I used that net um, at, um, instead of the traditional weaving pattern. At the end there was like a ceremony, I'm not going to show you the video, but it was so sweet, um, the elementary school teacher, um, principal, he would write songs and he had a ukulele and he would go around during the course of the day and make up songs, sing them with the students. So he made a song related to the Dreamcatcher, and they kind of came out and sang the song. And, you know and um, my friend and artist Gregory that who actually brought me on this residency with him, um, told me that the work is still intact, and he went back and kind of fixed the net a little bit last year, and it's, um, it still kind of has a, um, a good place, you know, for the people there in Obama City.) Um, so, so, maybe about a, yeah, about a year later, um, uh, I knew some people that were developing a high altitude sculpture park in Switzerland um, called 3D Foundation um, in Verbier, it's like a ski town, but we went in the summer, you know, but it's so high up, like 3,000 meters, that it still snowed. It snowed in like June and July and everything. You can even see some little bit of snow in the background there. Um, By this time, I was interested in also making sculptures out of the actual soil where that sculpture is being made. So what we're looking at here, there's like two pods. One is laying down, one is standing up. Both are eight foot. The one laying down, you can't see because it's kind of covered up. Um, and it's made out of soil then, verbier You know, I, I was able to be- develop a method of kind of holding the soil together. And then taking the, um, the pattern of the, the dream catcher and kind of this is a smaller example I'm taking the pattern of the dreamcatcher and kind of now weaving it in more three-dimensional type shapes so I'm building things out of soil and then taking that dreamcatcher pattern and kind of wrapping it or, or, or weaving around it um, with this piece um, of course it's a lot more solid than those kind of early dreamcatcher pieces that, that you saw earlier you know but its relationship with the environment is being addressed with the reflective spheres. You know, so what I have here is 110, like 12-inch, like basketball size steel spheres that are connected to these pods on the outside. So essentially, when you approach the piece, there's just a lot of reflections of what's around you. You know, so that's the main thing you can see. You know, from the valley, Um, where Verbier is, you can kind of see it shining on the side of the mountain. And then when you go up, um, really it's just, it's reflection sky, mountain, sun, clouds, you know, um, grass, you know. Um, So, you know, once again, I'm thinking about work that I want to be much more of the space. that when you look at it you think about the space more so than thinking about the art you know um, I mean I've always liked for people to say wow that's weird why did you do that or oh, that strange thing you know I love that I'd rather that than somebody say that's beautiful I want them to say that's strange why would you want to do something like that you know um, but also I find often people will look at the work and then just kind of get distracted and start looking around. And that's good. That's that's kind of really what I want, you know. Um, now um, more recently um, I was involved in a sculpture park project in Harlem. Um, this one is at Marcus Garvey Park. Um, and. I'm calling this sculpture, um, sculpture love, because I actually, there's like two arms to the sculpture that's kind of extending into the space. Um, I've exhibited this sculpture at a couple of different um, parks in the city, actually, and you know, for each one, I, I, I kind of consider kind of giving the space a hug, you know, um, and. Also, once again, um, it's kind of important to me that the majority of it is see-through. You know, even though it's, you know, about 10 feet tall, you know, and it's covered in a lot of space, there's quite a a bit of steel. These are kind of painted, these spheres are painted um, meditation balls. You know, um, I think there's... I don't know what it is with 110, but I think there's about 110 of those also, again, um, welded there, painted, Um, but I, in this project, I I wanted it to kind of look as if they're kind of, kind of um, held, but kind of hanging in space, Um, and of course, also the rest of the sculpture, you're really just looking through, and for the most part, when you're looking at the sculpture, you're mostly looking at the park instead of, instead of just the sculpture. Okay, so that's some of my stuff. Um, But I wanna get on into um, some of the work that the nonprofit has done that um, I found now is really like teaching creative placemaking. So um, myself, um, and some artists in Brooklyn that I know, and um, my mother helped me, um, started Brooklyn Art Incubator, you know. Um, I um, I guess I was, even as a young person, I was one of these weird young people that wanted to start a nonprofit organization. <laughs> you know, like I, as soon as I heard about it, I guess it was, Um, at the same time knowing that I wanted to be an artist um, and also relating to our our subject that we're talking today just kind of finding out what nonprofits were doing and that being so much more interested in working for a for-profit corporation you know um, that there just seemed like so much Uh, ability to affect communities in a way that you would like to you know um, and and just do cool interesting projects to see something that um, you you know you really think is um it uh, needs to be done better you know and I mean you're not a politician or you're not a a billionaire but you know you're a nonprofit or you're an artist and you can go do something you can make up an idea and and go address it Um, So around 2003, we started Brooklyn Art Incubator. We were going into schools, community centers, like working with the Boys and Girls Clubs, the YMCA, things like that. Art classes, art and entrepreneurship training. Um, Even now we're partnering with foster care agencies. We're doing mentorship with foster care agencies. Um, So just kind of a lot of things that Us artists would talk about. I know a lot of you artists can identify, and we'll talk about something, and then we'll say, Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go look for some resources and make it happen, you know. uh, a friend of mine's that actually taught when I was in undergraduate. I went to undergraduate school at Hampton University in Virginia. Um, so a friend of mine who had been a teacher when I was there started a nonprofit called Remsa, and RIMSA was doing their focus was environmental research. And um, our friend from RIMSA called us um, Rosetta. Um, she's passed away now, but. <laughs> wonderful person, she called us and said, hey, I'm looking on the government's website, so RFPs, request for proposal, (laughs) and we see that the, the government has some grants out there for illustrators that can help communities realize their ideas when they want to improve their communities from an environmental standpoint or if they just don't like the way it looks some kind of urban blight or you know so on and so forth. Um, so. Um RIMSA told us about this, we got together and kind of met, we did a little bit of research about what was already going on on subject matters related to vision to action, so on and so forth, and kind of started formulating our own type of workshop, um, whereas that we um, would, um, through RIMSA, identify different small towns and sometimes small neighborhoods and big cities. Um, I, I think we've worked in Boston and DC and Detroit and five towns in North Carolina, about three towns in Alabama um, and some other things I'm sure that I don't remember. Um, so they helped us kind of identify these areas that maybe it's a small town where everybody's moving out You know, and it just seems like there's so many areas that are underutilized. Everybody's moving to the big city, you know, or maybe there's a a city where they have like a lot of vacant lots or something, and regular neighborhood people are basically complaining. They want to do something about it. Um, We were able to get information, and this is an example of like one of our early flyers. Um, We were able to get information out to some of these cities if I could make that a little bit bigger without messing this whole thing up. Okay. We were able to get information out to some of these cities to let them know that we'll provide these vision-to-action workshops. All right. So in a vision-to-action workshop, the way we had it set up is the people who respond to our emails or flyers or whatever at set location, at set time, um, we would present the concept to them and then have them seated with an illustrator. And then them and the illustrator would talk. You know, maybe the person would draw and say, you know, this corner down on Third Street and such and such, you know, it's just been, people are just starting to throw trash over there and it's just such an eyesore. It'd be nice if we can do something over there. I have some ideas, but I don't really know how to express those ideas to potential urban planners or architects or local government or something like that. Um, so we would have them jotted down. So like, kind of like on the left here, you might see like some examples of some of the drawings that community have done while we were talking with them you know and then the we have here participants and then facilitator facilitator is us or the illustrator so I identified some illustrators that I know you know as artists you know artists that do all kind of things you know so like I know illustrators so we would go on these trips and um, they would talk to these people and kind of help them realize their idea, help them get a a nice drawing that they can take to someone and say, here, this is what I want, you know. Um, So this is a little example of our flyer we're showing them before and after to kind of set up these situations. Um, Let's see if I can get this smaller again. And then, I mean, a kind of workshop would just be kind of, a you know, sometimes we work with kids, sometimes we work with seniors, mixed members, you know, we worked with mayors of the town, we work with police chiefs and senators and all of this, all of these type of uh, different scenarios. Um, and they would sit there, you know, with an illustrator, you know, talking, drawing, kind of realizing your idea. And um, I would, I, definitely identify real illustrators who can do it in real time you know because I mean I can draw a little bit but I did it a few times and I was like I'm more of a sculptor you know okay. so um, you know those friends of yours that your friends of yours that can really do this in real time you know like somebody can be and then I want it to be a waterfall and then I want people to be able to go <laughs> white water rafting on that and then there's gonna be lots of trees on the side of it <laughs> I mean and it, it's something interesting to watch <laughs> yeah they would be perfect for that they would be perfect for that so they would sit there and just draw this in real time you know um, help them realize their ideas you know Um, so this is some examples you know they may be discussing you know um, I you know I read about these green roofs you know be be nice to have that in our town it'd be nice to have that in our neighborhood Um, so we prepare some of that and they can take that to go try to raise some money you know, um, I guess this was a conversation about live workspace. You know, this came up a lot in some of the small towns that I mentioned before. You know, we got we have a problem in the city of so many people coming here, but when you go to these small towns, it's just the opposite. They're losing all their young people. You know, they're trying to figure out ways of repurposing space to make it attractive. They're they're looking and researching their towns to find out, you know, what was going on in my town in the past that can be some kind of historical draw. You know um, what used to go on down at the river you know is there is there something can we start selling things down there or attract people going to those areas so a lot of small towns are just the opposite how can we attract people you know how can we repurpose that space how can we how can have dual use I think this was, at the time, somebody obviously interested in um, farmer's markets, um, and it was, a, I think we were in an army town in North Carolina. Does anybody remember that, it was a big army town, like the biggest one in North Carolina? Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg is in Fayetteville. So we're in Fayetteville. And kind of the thing thing was there is um, they wanted more farmer's markets, and the community wanted, um, to kind of have a relationship with, with, the, um, with the Army base where it's mutually beneficial because you know, you have these towns where you might have the Army base, they're getting tons of resources, the Army base is doing great, but it might be in a really poor town. You know, so what, what kind of situations can they kind of, kind of come together and, and share resources was a little bit of um, the conversation that was occurring at that time. Okay, so this person was um, very concerned about the conversation for the red cockadeed woodpecker. <laughs> um, um, you know, at the time, um, they were doing some clear cutting, you know, kind of indiscriminate cutting of wood in that area. So, clear cutting as opposed to more environmental um, harvesting of trees would be to kind of get an older tree. It's kind of like when you're fishing and you don't take the baby fish. <laughs> you know, you, you have like a, a certain length of fish that you have to take. So, um, they were doing some clear cutting in the area that we were working. And they wanted to kind of stop that because um, this particular woodpecker was starting to become um, um, to have a very um, low population and there were only certain trees that they they made their nests in so they wanted to develop some illustrations in in addressing that issue Um, okay and it looks like somebody feels that raking is more environmentally friendly than leaf blowing because Um, Of course, use of gas, electricity, so on and so forth. And I'm sure you're going to get much better exercise. Leaf leaf raking is hard, hard work. That's one good thing about living in a city, rake all those leaves. (laughs) I mean, unless, I mean, some of you have yards, but it's so rare here. Um, So, um, ideally, at the end of our sessions, um, the community members would end up with a vision board. You know, something where they have their main drawing that they're gonna utilize to try to make this vision of theirs happen, and then some smaller sketches that really relate to other issues in that region or connect to their main drawing. Um, I wish that we had more, but on some occasions, people got back in touch with us and they said, hey, um, this is what we're doing. You know, um, you remember that area that was like really messed up? We partnered with like the local youth group and we had them go out and clean that area up. Or um, a a kind of a vacant lot, okay, okay. I'm I'm thinking like my computer, I gotta think like this computer. To get there and this is kind of like this is like the last picture too but it's, it's kind of it's kind of doing something different okay uh, okay i'm just gonna have to use my words <laughs> Um, So, this picture and this picture below it where you see the house is kind of a before and after, you know, so um, it was an example of where uh, a group that we were working with got back in touch with us, sent us some pictures, and they said, hey, you know, that kind of unused area, you know, it wasn't a brownfield, you know, brownfields are areas where because of the contamination, you really can't do anything there. So, it wasn't a brownfield, it's just a place where because it was neglected, people just started Disrespecting the space, you know, they just started throwing stuff over there, you know. So we got the area cleaned up, and we were able to present some of our ideas and kind of convince local developers and govern and go- local government to partner so that we can put a- housing over there. And that housing actually ended up being housing for um, for people with disabilities you know, so that ended up being a, a great example of how that, from the idea, you know, through the design into its, um, you know, actual um, completion, you know, it was very successful. Thank you, Thank you. <laughs>
0: some great examples. I wanted to know, are there any questions from the crowd about the work they presented or anything to them? If not, we'll certainly pose questions to crowd. <laughs> Did anyone have any questions? No? All right, good. <laughs> so one question we wanted to pose to anyone in the audience was, how do you find, well, let's ask this. Creative placemaking. Now that you've come to the session, some of you were unsure about it. Was there more clarity? Did you have any more questions about that? Okay, no. fine. So one of the questions that we want to pose to you is how do you find a balance between the freedom to pursue your own artistic practice with the responsibility to respond to community conditions? Are there compromises? This is certainly for you to answer, for anyone in the audience who's felt that they participated in creative placemaking, not necessarily in the sense of like, oh, this is what I, this is creative placemaking, or the work that I do, oh, I didn't consider it creative placemaking. So I'll I'll ask the question again. (laughs) How do you find a balance between the freedom to pursue your own artistic practice with the responsibility to respond to community conditions? Are there compromises? Go
3: ahead.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um over time, and it you know, it's like uh it's just an ongoing journey, you know, so I'm, I'm, i don't definitely have to figure it out. Over time I, I find that what I'm actually interested in, if I address it in as creative way as possible, I, it seems almost as if I, as if I'm doing both. You know. Okay. You know, um that responsibility to community, the more I, I kind of stick to it, I think the more my goals as an as a artist seem to be rewarded. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, the question you had for, for the crowd, and I don't have it with me, was, do you guys feel that any of you have done creative placemaking work, but not necessarily recognized it as creative placemaking, per se? Have you done like any, I guess, another word for it was socially engaged art, where you've done art with the community in any way, shape, or form? Go ahead!
3: <laughs> I'm the worst person to speak because uh, I'm uh, really uh, I've been thinking about some project of an artist kind of very uh, in ephemeral um, installations in uh, the house sculptures, existing old art say Like a um, formal art. Mm-hmm. The famous people who saved us or whatever. And I was thinking that when we walk in the park or wherever in the city, we never see these sculptures. We never see them. They are part of things because either it's a different uh, way of, uh, before, let's say, um, Chateau de Versailles, mm-hmm. they could make the sculpture very high because people would not be on the process. So now when we walk as a pedestrian, we don't see the sculpture in the city. So I was wondering why is it that we don't see the sculpture anymore in our city, here in our city. And I started to say, okay, just they all of the same, around and shining kind of and thing. So I started to put the objects on them. Uh, and I created a project called um, Nia's Goddess. Uh, like huge necklaces, you no, know, put on sculptures. I don't want to touch a structure I want to put something <laughs> on there for people to think about it, just for now. And I took pictures of people looking at it. And of course, it's totally illegal. And so my question is, <laughs> how can I do the project and legally and and find a way? Because the nature of the project is itself a uh, way to. Maybe people pay attention is going have to do something awkward for them to pay attention and and I don't know. So I'm still back in my studio feeling <laughs> <laughs> so going at five in the morning <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I, I, think you know, I can't speak for New York City Parks, but they do have a an arts, a public art department, and they do permit and you know embrace and and commission artists to work with their collection, which includes you know a remarkable amount of, of statues and. Um, sculptures all over the, the park system, um, so I, I I think it's worth getting in touch and and you sounds like you've got a portfolio and and um, right
3: then it's also how do you you know uh, as you were talking about the uh, illustrator somebody who a like in the old days somebody who's going to speak for you you speak in the regular language and then somebody to translate it to the illustration and that's where right. <coughs> so that, as well. You, Write a white to talk to, then I have to write a proposal something, and it's in itself such a, 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 a huge uh, project. I'm, I'm like, I'd rather stay in the studio and figure out the sculpture. And, I mean, it's just a way it's a great the way of how you create from the creative, creative ideas mm-hmm. uh, on the and who is the, the
2: material? Yeah. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm going to answer that for you. You have to work for our department.
3: <laughs> 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 and uh, if you go on some parts website, our site, I mean, there are There's a whole section so that explains the process there. I'm sure there are some sculptures that are available. Can you please answer if there's a second? it's all
2: online. you for My understanding was that recently there was a particular statue that was um, um, put up quickly,
4: and, and then uh, Trump. <laughs> yes. You, yes. Trump. <laughs> I,
2: I enjoyed that immensely,
4: but, uh, yeah. but yeah. Oh, I, I want to come back to you, but I, I wanted to also, I know that the Lower Manhattan Community Council and also um, Brooklyn Arts Council, and there's other, but those two are really good. They have a lot of workshops. Q has very good workshops, too. <laughs> but. Um, but there are organizations like the Brooklyn Arts Council, Lower Manhattan Community Council, who have workshops on how to prepare proposals. And you have to kind of look at their cycle, you know, there, there's often grants that, that, that are, um, are coming up, but they'll have also workshops on how to apply for those grants, you know, yes, yes.
0: Which is one of our speaker series as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, on how to do fundraising, how to write grants. Well, not specifically how to write grants, but what are the outlets out there for getting money for your art? There's um, a lovely flyer at the front you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and who, I, I just, it outlines the rest of the series. So be sure to take one. just also reminds me who, who was the artist that did that wonderful, it um, was a public art fund project where they took the Columbus statue and created a living room out of it. That's one of my all-time favorite uh, installations that just completely changed the way you looked at art uh, with a really big budget, but it can be done at any level. Did you have a question? Sorry, go
3: ahead. Yeah, well, I came
4: to
3: art after being a writer and I was a playwright and I got a grant from the county and I did, a, I facilitated play reading series where really community people just used to come, it was done as a local body mm-hmm. and I actually had people who were established playwrights but needed a safe place where they could get feedback from their plays so it wasn't visual but um you know coming to heart after being a writer and I still write I, I'm very interested in this, you know, how, yeah. how you engage how you engage the community because I think sometimes people feel you know art is this and 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 they're here mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. once once you really get them and you ask the right questions and you and you make it a safe a safe place for them, it's it's a wonderful thing. Okay.
4: Definitely, definitely. Thank you.
3: I'm curious, uh, what kind of artists are in the
0: room today? Like visual, performance. <laughs> just raise hand. By show hands. Do you,
1: do, do you self identify as a visual artist? By a show of hands? Great. Cool. Awesome. Okay. You're in the right place for that. Um, <laughs> performance? Are you a performer of some sort? Singer, actor, dancer? A little bit of both. Are you an arts administrator? any of those? All right. Okay. We need to, too. <laughs> yeah. And you're just curious, but not quite an artist? All right. Well, you're all
2: artists. That's good, So why not? That's good. Yeah.
1: Did you say, would any urban planners? Are there any? Oh, urban. Yeah, yeah, urban planners. I'm sorry, I forgot. Urban, urban planners? Because yeah. we oh, need them too. Oh, there we go. And that's, I guess I want to highlight, and back to your question in the back, like how, basically, how do I do this? Right? You start to find people who want to do it with you, and I think that there are a lot of organizations who can teach those skills and, and can offer you a lot of uh, the the tools for how to. But I think the, there's there's really power in numbers. I'm such a big believer in that. Um, And I think beyond that, like sometimes it's very localized. So this place you're talking about, are there other groups working there already that you can form an alliance with? Are there community groups? Are there block associations? Or or where, and I think that applies to anywhere, like you're thinking, anybody in the room who's thinking, like, I really wish I could do this thing here, or I wish somebody would do this thing here. The cool part about creative placemaking is, is like, it's this big umbrella where, like art in its most general sense can be applied wherever, but it takes incredible collaboration and a lot of like connecting with other groups on all different levels private sector, public sector, um, artists, administrators, accountants. Honestly, um, because I know a lot of artists who aren't good accountants, so you need that part if you're gonna fundraise. So it's a multifaceted effort, I think, but that's great because in doing so, you're building. Community in and of itself. So I think uh, search for the groups we're working with, where you want to put that art, and and. Uh, you'll build your own little network, and or maybe big, big network, and that would be a lot easier when it comes times to dealing with the Parks Department, perhaps, or influencing uh, a, a council member that this thing needs to exist in your community. So, don't do it on your own, and if you think, I have to do it on my own, I think you're thinking incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Get other people behind you, form a group, and go
3: after it.
0: Musa, mm-hmm. so I have a question for you. Yes. So, in my experience in urban planning, and can add into this, Alan, um, especially community planning meetings. For example, there's always, yeah, there's always a conversation where a developer, real estate person, planners, city officials would present the idea, and have the community just provide the feedback. And so it was, it, it was very, like, one-sided, essentially. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there wasn't even opportunity to, pro- to provide that kind of feedback and have it really be taken. So I wanna know, in your vision to action workshops, did you find that there was this receptiveness to what you were doing this for the community members who were doing Did they fully understand it from the beginning? Or, and, and having these illustrators kind of just visualize their ideas and thoughts was that you know, how did how did those who participated take that? Because I don't I've never been in
4: that kind of situation yeah. to have that. Well, well over time um, we had to learn how to be a lot more on the community side because in, doing, in this process, vision to action, and also sculpture, like there's other sculpture that I have that I didn't show you. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I'm working with a developer, an architect, a real estate person, you know, urban planners, you know, people, corporate people, you know, um, and they want you to interact with the community. Basically, they want it to appear that the community had their voice. You know, so they want to match artists, community, take some pictures, and then go do what it is that they plan on doing in the first place. You know, which is kind of the issue. Um, And when we started the Vision Action thing, we kind of saw that. We kind of saw how local government was taking over our projects. So we had to find out ways to develop projects that would be more controlled by the community, more from the community perspective. You know, um, so there's projects where local government, um, real estate people development, and um, real estate people, developers are involved, but then there's other projects that are more artists, community driven. So it's almost like as artists and community members, we have to see ourselves as leaders and we have to take that leadership position and have projects that are driven by us. You know, there are times when you are partnering with the real estate folks, <laughs> you know, but um, unless you initiate that, they're going to do the same thing every time. You have to have times when you're actually driving your own projects, you know. Um, I don't know if I understood no, the did, question. You did. Okay. <laughs> Hi.
0: Being in that leadership position, did it, you
4: know, was it like a first time thing? Well, I, I would say the community being in a leadership position, right. okay. you know, and us having these experiences, communicating with them, you know, things where, okay, guys, you know, this is something that we need to kind of develop before it becomes something where you you really don't have any control, you know, um, so it, it, it's not, um, I mean, it's something that I've just recently, I feel like I'm figuring out how to do, you know, and um, that means that we have to come up with our ideas and put it this way, if the, um, I, I, I think if the developer comes up with the idea and calls you in, that's his project. (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to be but so community, you know, um, if you come up with the idea and call other people in later, then it's more likely to be your, the community's project. Is
0: there any, ever any space when it's a developer's project, is there any, is there ever any space to make it?
4: I don't, I don't know. Does, I mean, does anybody else have any experience in this area? I don't, it's a no tough one. <laughs> And mm-hmm. we're up right against that, right? So we were running by a developer, you we know, have large parking lots, anchor space um, that's not going to be developed for the next four years, who, who want our programming, right? So that means something very different to them than it does to excuse me, artists or local community members.
2: Um, and we're just at the very beginning of that project. But the, the hope is that through I think to Ellen's point about, like, you can put, you know, Fear Garden and um, Cornhole and, you know, we'll come we'll be happy, right? That through showing that we can actually have more focused, intentional programming with neighbors and residents um, that, that have more noise, that their strategy shouldn't or that's at least still the, the hope, right? So, who knows, what we saw, I saw plans recently of what the again seems like, it was, so boring, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know. So we, we have a few years, there to see if there if there is um, space
4: for that, you know. And I, I think we keep doing this because we still we, we keep hoping that
2: there is a way that there is change possible, right? So yeah. um, we'll see, but yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean,
1: they just to add on to that, mm-hmm. and I think whether it's trying to get an installation in a park or just in any project you're gonna go to, you might find that the partner you're working with doesn't have as much imagination as you do. That doesn't stop you from your course. I think. In fact, that just fires me up even more. Um, And I think in the case of this parking lot, The developer's imagination is really lacking and this goes back to what I was saying before which is demonstrating the value to the developer that we're working with um, I think in a lot of respects if we could pack out that parking lot every single night of the week that would be a success we're having to sit and really be intentional about kind of defining and giving um, some context to the neighborhood that we're working with and why it's unrealistic that that's gonna happen, but that there's a greater value to us in a deeper experience, getting those people to come back on their own, getting those people to identify with this space as something that's theirs. And, and so I, I think that there's a lot of different techniques and strategies and ways to activate and all that, but it is this constant tug of war But I think we're finding that their imagination is widening a little bit as they see people coming back and people from the community going, oh, this isn't just a dilapidated parking lot anymore. It's it's actually turning into a community space slowly but surely. So I think there are ways to define the the value so that even the most stubborn developer or government figure or whoever it might be uh, sees the other side of it. But I think it's important to to always remember there is another side. How do you recommend um, Oh, yeah. Bother them? Um, call yeah. them? Yeah. So depends on who it is. I think uh, so there's the developer pot. And Musa, since you've worked with some, I'll be curious what your experience is. Um, I think that they're often looking for artists more than artists are looking for them. So I think if you're producing work on any sort of, uh, I mean, I think sometimes it's just saturation and, and just being around long enough that people find you. I think that that's just half the, the, the battle being found. Um, the other part of it is you can be much more proactive and if, if it's local projects you're trying to work on find out who your council members are find out who your state senators are find out what the priorities are and tap into that Uh, if it's education like that's the thing with creative placemaking i think that there's an outlet for arts in any different facet of society so education healthcare. in fact that that is what creative placemaking is by my by my kind of definition like infusing all the different aspects of life with creativity and imagination and making it Uh, a better community experience for all of us. Um, So find out who your local politicians are and and call them and set up meetings with them and say I have these ideas. And again, it's gonna go back, it's gonna be a stronger, I think, collaboration right from the get-go if you show that you have Uh, some other people who buy into that vision with you so look those people up and then just start researching. Tonight I hope that Creative Placemaking gets a lot of hits on Google and find out the groups in your neighborhood who are doing this. Some of them are represented right in this room which is great. I imagine a lot of you are from from New York, probably all of you. Um, There are a lot of grassroots local organizations that are probably working right around the corner from where you are and you might not even realize it and that's nobody's fault that just is what it is. Um, We have Bridget here who runs the five borough story project Mm -hmm. she's based in Queens but she's taking work everywhere she goes you have Musa who's the Brooklyn art incubator he he is doing that so come talk to him talk to Ellen like just start talking to people and go to more things like this network and get to know people because I need to know you exist just as much as you need to know I exist I think and together we, we will get it done we're getting it done and again it's not a new thing this has been going on for a long time so just find how you fit into that equation and just start going.
2: Uh, I would add to that, I think, scaling
3: is, is Yeah, absolutely. So, um, something that you're passionate about or that is, is of interest to you, to working on, whether it's in your own living room or, you know, in a park with friends, that is the
2: basis for what happens next for regard projects. And and oh. um, you got to impart doing that in our living room first. So okay. I think, um, you know, to your point, having a picture or having um, something that you can show to the people that you're gonna to talk to and network with um, is really important and it doesn't have to start as this huge thing, it really is you know, mm-hmm. scalable. Mm-hmm.
1: And that doesn't have to take years either. I mean, it can. It's your kind of destiny, right? But it's not like, oh, if I start out with just something in my living room today, it's gonna to take 10 years to get to the next thing. You have no idea where that will lead to, and that's the kind of beauty of art, I think. So I think just start is, is half.
2: So, and there's another just, you know, other, Sort of beast in this in the city uh, landscape, which is business improvement districts, and some of them are, are really trying hard to bring identity and, and creativity and vibrancy to their districts. And they might have a tiny bit of money too. And so, you know, I, I think the smaller friends groups at the parks, the conservancies, um, some of these business improvement districts, you know, they they really are trying to do th- those things on a small scale, and they might have some seed money to say, you know, we're thinking about this particular aspect of our, you know, district, what can you do, and, um, you know, having, having images and, um, is always helpful, and so, but that might be a way okay. as well.
4: I want to connect to something Jordan mentioned about um, developers um, looking for you. This, I mean, it's something I, I didn't realize because as artists, we're kind of in our own bubble, you know, a lot, you know, so we're not seeing how people see us, how, what they're looking for, what their interests are, and stuff like that. But, um... Uh, developers, you know, developers are like the people who bring together everybody that's on a building project. You know, what I'm saying they hire the electrician, they hire the lighting guy. You know, they're they're hiring, the, you know, everybody, the landscaper, everything, and they know the value of art. They know the power of art. You know, um, of course, urban planning people know the power of art. All the way down to the real estate person, which is the salesperson. You know, they all know the power of art. Um, but they're seeing it from a different perspective. And I think they're really, in certain power that we don't necessarily necessarily see you know so like jordan said you'd be surprised if you present ideas but um also as he as he said you you have if you're presenting ideas as a community or as a group or having researched it with a group and saying this is what this is our idea this is what we want to do you know they're already looking for art you know because they know that it not only beautifies but art art and artists is also the connection a lot of times between the builders and the community. So you got you guys make them look good. <laughs> you know, that's why they want you. You know. But the, the the thing to make it effective is to be part of a community. So what you're presenting is gonna be beneficial um, to everybody in the long term. Mm-hmm.
0: I think um, we can certainly extend this conversation in a more casual environment. Um, I want to thank you all for coming. Uh, this is, again, one part of a series of five. Our next one is next week, Wednesday. And that will be adapting to your place at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So welcome to have you come and join. And, uh, see what we'll be talking about. It'll be David Korn.
1: His... Yeah, okay, just... yeah no, David Korn, who, if you've heard of the Figment Project, which is out on Governor's yes. Island, it's the founder, he, David's the founder of that. Uh, they're just celebrating their 10th anniversary this year. Um, he has an artist who worked on Community Picnic with him, it's, we'll be speaking with him as well. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk about, great, I have a parking lot, what do I do with it? Or I have... A space what can I possibly do with it and I think you'll be amazed what we can get done so I hope you will come back for that and then take that take the flyer that we are referencing this is just gonna build and build and build and then we're gonna have fireworks for the fifth one <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I hope you'll come back hope it's helping you get involved thank you very much thank you.